Hi, I'm Leslie Parmeter from Climate Performance Partners, and I welcome you to the Climate Connect podcast, where we share valuable insights from the eye care business world with optometrist owners and staff members to help address challenges, achieve their goals, and transform their practice. In today's episode, I am joined by a Kleinman alum, Dr. Reed Jarvis, optometrist and owner of Jarvis Vision Center in Murray, Kentucky. Dr. Jarvis, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. I'm glad to be here and help out. Now, before we get into your journey as a practice owner, I just wanted to ask you about when you developed your passion for eye care, because unlike most optometrists who decide they want to become optometrists in their teens or maybe college years, the spark of interest began as early as first grade for you. What happened to pique your interest in eye care at that time? Well, I mean... It was one of those situations to where back then the school system didn't like require an eye exam to start school or anything. And my parents actually took my brother, who was about three years older than me, to the eye doctor because the teachers at school thought he might need glasses. And so it just turned out that I was just kind of a tag along kid. And my mom was like, here, check him while we're here. Of course, I was like the worst nearsightedness of all of them. For me, it was like one of those proverbial, you know, go outside and see leaves on the tree for the first time kind of deal. (laughs) So it really just kind of opened my eyes up to the importance of being able to see clearly, even at that young age to understand that. I mean, I know it sounds like this can't be true, but literally, if you go back and ask even my high school friends, what did he say he was going to do when he grew up? They would say he said he was going to be an optometrist. I was one of those kids that I kind of just always set my mind to something and I was just going to do that. I didn't really think about it much. I just said, hey, this sounds good. I'm going to do this. I liked my optometrist back home, a good relationship with him. And I was like, I'm just going to go this route. And I just kind of stuck with it the entire time. (laughs) That's amazing to know at such a young age what a gift that is. Now we're going to fast forward, Dr. Jarvis, to the time when you became an optometrist practice owner. And I understand that happened rather suddenly at the very beginning of your career. What were the circumstances surrounding that? Tell us. So I was at um, University of Alabama, Birmingham, an optometry school, and this was, I guess, 2007. I assume it's the same way now, but during your fourth year, you know, you do rotations where you go and you work at private practice or the VA or various other entities. So the whole time, my whole plan was to come back to my hometown and work for the optometrist that I went to. He had a large practice and I was going to be an associate and then eventually buy in and do all that stuff like the normal route. And that was my last internship before I graduated. And so literally like the week before I was supposed to move from Birmingham back home to start my last internship, he sent me a message and said, hey, some things have come up in the business and we're just going to kind of hold right now. We're not going to be bringing on any new associates anytime soon. So it was kind of like just a gut punch because I was like, we had already been looking at houses in my hometown and my wife and I were like, settled. Like, this is where we're going to be. This is where we're going to raise our family. So in that same email kind of thread that I opened up that day, the very next message was a message from our state association saying that there was an optometrist in a nearby town, not my hometown, but about 40 minutes away who needed some full-time help. Kind of one of those God things. I just said, well, I'm not going to have this job. Might as well call this guy while I'm in town that for nine weeks and just go over there and meet him and see what the story is. So 
Long story short, that optometrist had developed terminal colon cancer. Oh, wow. He was in a, obviously a very bad situation and needed someone to come in and, and purchase the practice. Prayed about it, talked to my wife about it. We went over, or I went over and met with him and his wife and just kind of got a feel for it. And, you know, I think not knowing what I didn't know, uh, I was just like, <laughs> hey, this sounds like a good opportunity. <laughs> I need a job. He needs somebody to work. So I just kind of jumped into it. And so I literally graduated optometry school on a Saturday in June and bought the practice on Monday Incredible! <laughs> um, with no money or anything. I don't know why the bank decided that was a good idea, but they did. And so we bought the practice on Monday wasn't even licensed until like probably six weeks later. <laughs> so I, I basically like bought it on the idea of if I become licensed, this will go through. From there, I was fortunate enough to have some other older optometrists that were filling in for him while he was out sick. And so they agreed to kind of stay on and help me during that kind of first six months, just kind of transition and to learn what I was doing. Thankfully, too, he had a core two or three ladies that had worked there for many years for him that really valued and respected him and committed to staying there and helping me you know, get my feet under myself and get going. And two of them are still with me even to this day. You know, That was really just a God thing and, and just very fortunate. And like I said, I think not knowing what I didn't know really helped me make that decision because I didn't overanalyze it. You know, I think sometimes we get paralyzed by analysis. And so I just kind of went with it and it worked out to be the best decision I probably could have made in my career. Wow, what a story. And now jumping from that, what do you feel was the biggest challenge you faced as a practice owner? Well, back then it was, again, just kind of not knowing what you don't know. That's really how I got involved with Kleinman. I knew right away that I was in over my head, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, coming out of school, I knew the basics of optometry, you know, I knew in theory how to deal with certain conditions and so forth, do the medical side of it. But we had zero business experience and zero really knowledge on how to run a business. I had a friend of mine who I graduated with who went to work for a practice who had a relationship with Kleinman. And so he was the one that kind of introduced me and said, hey, look up these people, look up this guy, Al Kleinman, and I think they might be a good fit for you. So I interviewed a couple different consulting groups, as you call them, and I really liked what Kleinman was preaching at the time. And, you know, I really felt like it wasn't a cookie cutter type program. It was really kind of one of those deals where they were just going to push you to kind of think outside the box, but weren't going to give you the blueprint of how to do everything. Within about a year, year and a half after practicing, I started working with them. And that's kind of where it took off. But the challenges obviously were staffing right away. You know, how do you manage a staff? How do you run the business in an effective way? You know, there's so much that I kind of just left in place from the old guard. I mean, they kind of managed me, quite honestly, for the first <laughs> year um, till I could kind of like understand and learn. And, and a lot of those challenges are still the same challenges we have today. They're just at a larger scale. Of course, it's there are just certain issues you'll always be dealing with as a practice owner, right? Now, along your practice journey, Dr. Jarvis, you decided to expand your practice by acquiring another one adding associate ODs, and building a new location. And those are some big transitions to go through. What were the catalysts for those big decisions? Well, it was really just about patient demand, you know, and the capacity that we had. I mean, I knew pretty early on in my career that I was not going to be a six-day-a-week grinding-it-out optometrist. 
I really enjoy the business aspect of optometry, more so probably than the day-to-day patient care aspect. And I, I knew I wanted to create a system in place to where I could eventually work on the practice and not in the practice every day. So as we began to grow and I began to learn how to crunch my schedule and how to be more efficient with my time and so forth, I realized that having an associate would really serve two purposes. One would be from a financial standpoint, it would make sense for me because we had the patient demand and I didn't want to work more hours. And then secondly, from a liability standpoint, just seeing what had happened to the previous doctor that was before me and how life can you know, throw you a curveball, all of a sudden you're not ready for it, it could put you in a precarious position. And I didn't want to be in that position. So that's when I hired my first associate, which was probably about six or seven years ago now. I'd been at it for a while, and so I brought him in. It worked out that about six months to a year as he was in the practice, an opportunity came about to where another optometrist in town was going to move. And he was basically just going to close up his shop And so through the help of Al and some of the members there at Kleinman, we were able to work with him on creating a win-win kind of system to where, hey, he could transfer his patient base to us. We could absorb that with my new associate and would be a situation to where, you know, his patients wouldn't be left hanging. And again, it would give us kind of sudden rocket fuel for that associate to start filling his books. We've actually repeated that again here more recently, where another optometrist about three years ago, when we moved into our new building, same kind of situation. He was looking to retire post-COVID. He just kind of had enough. We had the new capacity in the new building. So we kind of were able to do this very similar thing where we were able to absorb his practice into ours again. That's just always been kind of our growth strategy, and it seemed to work for us. That's great. Now a question related to some climbing programs that you invested in during your tenure with us. Along the course of your practice journey, you had some team members participate in management works and frameworks. In what way, Dr. Jarvis, do you feel that you received the most help along the way? Is there something that stands out for you? Sure. So we began actually, when I first signed up for it, I can vividly remember that first meeting I had with Val and Amanda and my wife was with us and we were at just one of the kind of introductory meetings, just kind of exploring it. And, you know, we were sitting there and, you know, I think they could see the overwhelmingness on our faces <laughs> right. and we were young, obviously very young at the time. And, you know, they just kind of, I felt like took an extra probably more so than they normally would, just an extra sense of interest in us and could see the potential that we probably couldn't see ourselves. And so we did the first year like that, I forget what they called it, like in a strategic analysis where they would basically come on site. They spent, you know, probably a week with us on site doing different things and trainings and so forth, just helping us kind of get an idea with our staff, doing some vision board where we kind of laid out, here's our mission statement, here's our vision, our core values that we want to kind of do as a practice and just kind of pushing us in that direction to kind of get the base underneath us. After that, I had a very strong relationship with those same people. Probably Amanda Van Boris was very instrumental in my growth and my practice. Of course, Al. So, you know, going to the regular meetings and stuff, we were always willing to try anything they were putting out. <laughs> way to go. Best way to say it. You know, we were kind of in a lot of ways, probably guinea pigging a lot of the new programs. And I knew I wanted my staff involved. So I always tried to have them come rotate different people coming to the meetings with me, taking advantage of the education. And then anytime we could implement one of the new programs, 
you know, bringing that in so that everybody in the practice had a chance to kind of experience it. You know, and some were very successful and some were not. I mean, it's like anything. What you learn is, is if you're willing to kind of step out and take a chance, any program you do, you're going to take some value out of it. You're going to learn how to adapt that to your situation, your community, your practice. And you're going to learn that, you know, not all the aspects are going to work at every place. And so that was kind of key. And I think that's why climbing was so well for us is because they understood that. They didn't say, you know, here's the playbook. Do it just like this and don't ask questions. You know, I mean, Amanda and I would go back and forth or even Alan at times, you know, with I would challenge, you know, what they were saying. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't think that'll work with what we're doing. They would challenge me back. And so I think that was a healthy relationship where we were constantly kind of pushing each other. And then, like I said, I would trust them. So I would say, hey, you know, you think this is what we need to do? We'll try it. And then we would try it. And like I said, take what worked throw out what didn't and move forward. And that's kind of always been, again, another philosophy of mine is, you know, I told my office manager just yesterday, I said, you know, the status quo is not going to work here. You know, (laughs) we had an issue come up just yesterday with some staff and I was like, hey, if they're not open to changing and moving forward and trying new things, they're not going to be a good fit long term here because I get bored with the status quo. (laughs) Right. And you know, your willingness to try new things was no doubt a contributor to your practice growth. Yeah. You know, I think and that's probably something that my time there at Kleinman really instilled that value in me personally as a business owner is if you're not moving forward and changing and pushing the envelope, you're falling behind. That's kind of how we've operated since then. Looking back on your career so far, Dr. Jarvis, is there anything you would have done differently if you'd had the chance to do it all over again? And if so, what would it be and why? I mean, my biggest regret now, I'm not older. (laughs) I'll be 43 next month. But again, since I've been at it for 16 years or so, my biggest regret is being captivated by fear. Oh, I see. I've always been a person that's kind of been paralyzed at times by the fear of what if this doesn't work or what if this fails. And I think that that has hindered my growth in a lot of areas, not just business, but personally as well. And so that's one of the things that I've been working on personally right now is just kind of casting out that fear and saying, hey, as Al would say, you know, he always give the same analogy of like, you know, somebody comes in with a problem. His first question is, has anybody died? <laughs> right. I've heard that a time or two myself. You know, and the reality of it, the things that we're talking about, the things that we're doing are not life and death situations. And so the worst that can happen is you learn from the failure and you you move forward. So trying to be more proactive, I guess now, and not be stuck thinking about all the potential negative consequences that could occur, but instead really trying to hold on to the potential benefits and bearing into that aspect of it so that I can move forward faster and learn from those failures quicker. And I think that too comes with, you know, being a father of young children now, that's something that I want to instill in them at a young age is, hey, don't be afraid of failure. The worst that could happen. I mean, you might get embarrassed. You might, you know, not succeed at something, but hey, you know, that's going to be a learning opportunity. That's going to help you out when you're an adult and when you're in business later in life. If you're not afraid to fail, growth and your acceleration and success is going to be much faster than those around you. So true. Well said. And speaking of family life, as a busy optometrist practice owner with a wife and two children, how do you feel about your work-life balance? 
Do you feel like you've achieved the quality of life you desire outside of your practice, Dr. Jarvis? It's one of those situations. I think that's kind of a loaded question (laughs) to some extent. You know, I think that we're all kind of wired differently and kind of all called to different things. I mean, I am 100% wired and called to be a business owner. That's my thing. My family recognizes that. My wife understands that. And she knows that if I'm not giving an appropriate amount of time and energy into that, then I'm not going to be as good a husband. I'm not going to be a good as father because that's where I get my energy from. On the flip side of that, I also recognize that my biggest responsibility is my home, my wife, my two kids and raising them. And that's a short period of time that I have doing that. So I've really tried to prioritize, especially now that they're in the school age, of being available, You know, making sure that I'm at the events, making sure that I'm finding other people, delegating things that I don't need to be doing because that just takes up my time from them. So that's another thing that I kind of learned early on through working with Kleinman as well is just delegation and the importance of that finding good people and getting out of their way. That's one another thing that I learned from them. So yes, I'd say I've got a pretty good balance. I mean, I see patients three and a half days a week. Days like today, I don't even go into the office anymore. It's just kind of my day. So I'm able to kind of really spend time with my wife, spend time with my kids, do things that need to be done. And so, yeah, I think I'm in a pretty good balance. I think down the road, I'll try to get more and more out of patient care, but I don't think I'll ever really get out of running a business. That makes sense. Gotcha. Sounds like you love it too much. That's right. (laughs) Final question, Dr. Jarvis. Now, if you could give any piece of advice to yourself right after you received your optometry degree, what would that advice be? Always be in it for the act of learning and always be pushing yourself to learn new things, to challenge your thoughts, to challenge your way of doing things. And you know, never be complacent and never be satisfied in a sense of with where you're at. Just always kind of be hungry for that next thing. Because I think not only do I think it provides a more successful career, but I think it also makes it more enjoyable for me personally. And so I guess that's what I would tell myself then. And then, like I said earlier, just don't be afraid of failure. You know, the worst that can happen is is not as bad as you think it is. <laughs> so that's probably the number one thing I would tell them as well. Well, Dr. Jervis, I want to thank you for this very insightful and open conversation about your optometry practice journey. And I wish you the very best as you continue on your journey for many years to come. Sure, absolutely. I'm glad to do it. Now to summarize what we discussed in today's podcast, achieving success in your practice is closely tied to a willingness to adopt new ways of doing things. Through that process, continue with the things that work and leave behind those things that don't. Don't be afraid to fail when considering trying something new. Leaning into change and focusing on the potential positive outcomes instead of letting fear stop you from moving forward as you imagine all the things that can go wrong you give yourself an opportunity to experience expedited personal and professional growth. And not knowing what you don't know can easily hold you back from practice development and growth. So bringing in outside help from consultants gives you an opportunity to learn and grow much quicker rather than taking the trial and error route. We hope this podcast was helpful to you and we have a treasure trove of resources for our optometric practice partners at KleinmanConnect.com. If you're not a member and you would like to know more about us and access all kinds of valuable information that can help you grow your practice, visit us at Kleinman.com. 
I look forward to connecting with you again next month for our next Kleinman Connect podcast, always on the first Wednesday of each month. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Catch you next time. Thank you.